Mr. Mojo Rising. Rising, rising. Got the mojo rising. Welcome. Episode 5 Movie Reviews Rising with your host, me, Cecil Hands. Now, uh, whew, just gonna get right into it with the horror section with Hereditary because this thing came in. $10 million movie directed by Aria Steer, uh, shot by Powell. Polgor Zelski. This was fantastic in the theater. This is one of the movies like Annihilation this year that I recommend that you do see in the theater if you get the chance because of the it's so dark looking, just the look of it. And then a lot of the uh, dis- just uncomfortableness of watching this movie play out is worth anybody's time, I think. I don't. I don't really get the some of the backlash. I know I'm a fan of uh, Mark Kermode's uh, show, his podcast, and I know he was upset that they compared it to The Exorcist, and other people are upset that it's com- being compared to, you know, saying people are saying this is this generation's Exorcist, and that's too much of a comparison for some people. Sure, I mean, but the audiences aren't there the way they used to be for The Exorcist. People that had a tons of audience members going in there and freaking out over the exorcist which isn't really happening anymore sadly but in hereditary you get this weird kind of inversion of the exorcist idea and it's it's pretty fun i thought that was an okay comparison i think it's all right when people throw out something like that um i didn't hear about that till after i watched it so maybe i don't you know wasn't setting up the wrong expectations but, you know, this is a great movie to think about. Uh, Tony Collette's performance really, the whole time, keeps you watching. And it's very fascinating. She's, she, she deserves an Oscar, as far as I'm concerned, right now, uh, in 2018, uh, for movies. Uh, she was kicking some butt, you know. But this will be like, oh, it's a horror movie, so we can't, we can't really acknowledge it like a drama. Even though it's 90% kind of a drama. <laughs> family drama maybe that's a little bit more percentage than it really is because there are genre elements to hereditary and apparently not enough for some people so without spoiling the movie i just think hereditary is one of those great movies you got to kind of experience for yourself and it's kind of cool that you know we don't we're not too familiar with ari Esther's work unless you go watch his shorts or something like that before you go see it you really are going to have a clean blank slate to go in and not really know what to expect i think it's a fun fun ride super fun okay um that's the horror section i hope it feels that way uh um you know anyway uh yeah i got some i got some other mentions i want to get through here i watched um some old school movies I was doing this thing where I was just trying to like look for movies on YouTube to watch <laughs> and to see what would happen because they're available on YouTube. Uh, one of them I would recommend is Variety from 1983, and it's by uh, Betty Gordon directed it. It's starring Sandy McCloud. She is working at a place called Variety in New York, which is a porn theater, and she works at the booth up front. And Louise Guzman is the bouncer at the door. And 
it, her, it's just kind of like her descent into that seedy underworld of being I, more and more interested, I guess, in that seedy porn world that she's in. And, you know, it's all, I don't know. Without the violence and stuff, it kind of reminds me like that awkwardness of Travis Bickle and Taxi Driver and how he tries to, like, you know, take his date to um, uh, porn theater and he's socially awkward. Um, I definitely recommend Variety. It's real low-key, um, slow burn movie, just watching. It's a character study and it's fantastic. Uh, I guess it's somewhat feminist. I'm not sure how. I, I don't know. But I, I'd like to watch more Betty Gordon movies after watching Variety. It was just on YouTube. Um, another movie I saw just on YouTube is uh, Flower in His Mouth. Um, it's also Dente Di Respeto, and um, it was The Schoolmistress and the Devil. And it's Jennifer O'Neill, Frank O'Neill, and James Mason. And this was a weird movie. Our uh, schoolmistress comes in a bit shady. I don't want to open up to her, and there are a series of murders where you know people are stuffing flowers into people's mouths, victims' mouths, and they're linked to her. Uh, it's a mystery. Uh, not exactly a jolly. Uh, but worth your time if you want a kind of a slower paced movie that's a little strange. And her, her character, like Sandy McCloud in Variety, these were oddly strong female characters. And out of, out of any kind of normal definition of what a female character should be like. I mean, the, in Variety, Sandy McCloud is, um, getting more and more interested in porn and <laughs> in flower in his mouth. Um, Jennifer O'Neill is just randomly will have these aggressive outbursts and, and can is fully capable of standing up for herself. And she kind of surprised me and her performance surprised me in flower in his mouth. Again, that was just on YouTube. I had found, so I would, I would recommend that. Um, I think it's seventies. I didn't uh, check it before I started. So, uh, another one that was funny. If you want to waste some time on like a Sunday was death train, uh, <laughs> With Pierce Brosnan starring, and uh, Patrick Stewart's in it. Christopher Lee's a bad guy in it. Ted Levine's a bad guy in it. Um, definitely for Ted Levine completists, you got to check out Death Train. Uh, lots of cool shit, like uh, random, random cool stuff. You can see, you know, Brosnan becoming a Bond type figure in this movie. And they're trying to stop a train that has a nuclear uh, device on it, ready to blow. Um, people getting irradiated and horrible things happening in it but it was a kind of overly long but again strangely a great female hero in this movie just randomly off net uh off youtube um i think her i i didn't jot down her name uh she's fantastic <laughs> her character and the things she gets to do in the movie watch death train <laughs> um looking at this another movie i saw caught off of youtube was 84 charlie mopic which is a vietnam uh pseudo documentary well you know in the style of a documentary because it has a character who's holding a camera the whole time uh following a platoon of troops it's a late 80s movie around the same time of full metal jacket a lot of the same lines because a lot of those like recycled um marine corps stock character lines 
um, this is my rifle, this is my gun, this is for fighting, this is for fun, that kind of stuff is in there. And 84 Charlie Mopic is on YouTube right now, and I would say check that out if you get a shot. Um, really cool. Felt more of anti-war than anything. And speaking of anti-war, I'm going to talk about some of the physical media I have because I've been trying to get through some of these like actual movies that I own you know, instead of going to streaming, trying to go to digital, I just wanted to look at some of these movies I have. And that's part of why with this show, I want to get into some of these movies that I actually own <laughs> that I haven't watched yet or something like that. Uh, one of them is 1930s, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. I finally saw this. This was fantastic. Okay, I can't emphasize it enough. It was sears, it sears itself into your brain. Uh, and you do see these early instances of famous war movie scenes that are in so many other war movies since all quiet on the western front about world war one and it's brutal it's in the style of dunkirk and how brutal it is um you have the people patriotic ready to go off into war and then you see the consequences almost immediately and the whole thing is dirge-like, but it is so in your face about it and just just brutally honest. A fantastic movie. It's never going to really not be relevant as long as there's war. So definitely check out All Quiet on the Western Front. The, you know, I'm sure the history of it is just fantastic of everyone involved with the picture. And I'm not trying to make it into a history lesson as much as I like film history, but I just want to recommend it to anybody who's overlooked that movie. Check out All Quiet on the Western Front. Now, let's get into some of the movies, the big ones, the big ones. Uh, Avengers Infinity War. Uh, yeah. How did I, you know, I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. And Thanos coming along, sweeping up shit as he does. I was a little bummed that they took away Lady Death. That kind of irritated me to some degree because I always picture if you have like Thanos and Lady Death and like that's a bitch inside of a van. You just paint that shit on the side of a van. Farmer Thanos, Lady Death. And that's Thanos, man. Um, with the gauntlet. Uh, that's out of it. Took away Lady Death as the motivator. Replaced it with you know, an okay balancing act that he wants to pursue in eliminating half the uh, superheroes. It's just efficient enough when you have a million characters in your movie and your movie costs $321 million. $321 million is a lot of money. Shot by Trent Opalock, who shot uh, District 9 in Chappie. So I'm a little more understanding now of why maybe the movie was so shaky cam oriented because Chappie and District 9 have that effect too but yeah it was a little distracting overall I think the camera work in Black Panther was better generally and just some of the shaky cam got to me <laughs> I know uh, I don't even want to get into it but Elizabeth Olsen I know she was complaining about her costume and there were some cleavage issues I thought that was to the fault of the the camera angle too I mean it's just the the way the camera is in the shaking, it's all you kind of look at in some of the shots. <laughs> um, similar to how in Justice League, there were just so many shots of like Wonder Woman's butt that weren't in Wonder Woman. They kind of just stick out. 
So uh, maybe get a female DP sometime. Uh, that would be cool. Uh, the costume, okay. Well, you know, if you if your hero is not comfortable in the costume, then sure, change it. Um, Deadpool two, another Brolin movie. Pretty fun, pretty fun. Okay, I like the some of these deep, weird references they did to like. Uh, per, can't remember the name. The Guy Pierce movie, the great the proposition. Uh, that was funny. <laughs> uh, some other things about Deadpool were funny. It was a fun watch in the theaters. Energetic. It is what it should be, right? It is a fun like that time when you're a teenager and everything is about sarcasm. Definitely got that across. Uh, budget of. 110 million which you may have thought was a lot of money except for avengers infinity war right 321 million yeah what's 110 million um shot by jonathan sila and jonathan sila shot um atomic blonde max Payne, um, transformers last stand and um john wick so Deadpool 2, yeah, that was pretty good for him, right? Um, Zazie Beats was a fun domino. Josh Brolin, though, was a great cable, and I loved cable. I had little qualms. I had a couple qualms with the, the ending there, how it wrapped up. I mean, I feel like, honestly, I mean, can you spoil Deadpool? Should I save this for some later spoiler section? Well, I'm not going to. Uh, <laughs> so if you're worried about spoiling Cable's journey at the end of Deadpool, maybe skip ahead um, a couple of minutes or something like that. Um, the ending, when he stays, I felt like, what? Well, I don't know. Like, it's kind of a weak reasoning for him to kind of stay there. I mean, when his family's in the future. And I'm thinking, well, you could have sent him back and then you send Bishop back for the X-Force movie. Let's get some Bishop in there. But I know you don't want to waste how cool Brolin is as Cable. And uh, he was a great Thanos, too. Uh, yeah. I saw Hotel Artemis. And it's just kind of like on a fluke. Like, I might as well see this. I like the John Wick stuff universe. I like Jodie Foster. Who doesn't like Jodie Foster? Uh, I like the cast. Uh, I already liked uh, Sofia Botella in The Mummy. Yeah, the mummy. Um, <laughs> iconic. Boris who? <laughs> Karloff what? Uh, and then, uh, oh, but Artemis, man. How do I describe this? Because I was non-judgmental when I watched this movie. But when I came to this movie, I saw two friends of mine. And I, and I said, you guys here to see Hotel Artemis? And they're like, yeah. I was like, cool, I'll see you guys. And after the movie, we were like... They were more judge. They were more critical than I was of the movie. You know, they came to see this movie for fun, no reviewing agenda, and uh, they were just like a lot of it didn't pay off. Charlie Day didn't really pay off. A lot of this stuff, he had a couple of funny gags. He's sitting around in a hotel. You're waiting for stuff to happen. There's like mobs going on outside, which is just like conveniently brought up at the end, kind of barely. There's some weird backstory between Jeff Goldblum and Jodie Foster that's resolved pretty straightforwardly <laughs> in a pretty it's just odd I didn't think it was you know some people are claiming you know they say they like this the tone of this the whole way and it, it serves its purpose um I felt it was a little disjointed a little abruptly ended um it really didn't offer that much it was actually forgettable uh <sighs> 
So yeah, it was it was pretty much a mess. Uh, but it was directed by Drew Pierce, who shot the music video for the night Josh Tillman came to uh, our apartment, which I do like that video a lot. It was really well done, and it was this uh, movie was lensed by Chung Hoo Chung, who shot Thirst, Stoker, Old Boy, and Handmaiden. Uh, so I can't knock the cinematography; those are stellar credits. And um, I wish him luck on everything else he does. Everybody in this is talented. That's why you, it needs to be better. Okay, this is, and I gotta classify this section of the of the show. I know my show is disjointed and abrupt as well, but man, this is like the movie. It's just one of those movies. There's the type of movie that is just recommended by coworkers. Okay, that's the type of movie this is. It's like, did you see Hotel Artemis? It's like, hmm. Do I really need to have immediately seen this movie? Even if I just like tangentially John Wick 1 and 2? No, you can skip this movie. Just like you could skip the the remake of Magnificent 7. Nothing to see here, folks. Moving along. You know, I know Anton Fuqua is capable of making a great movie. Magnificent 7 is not a great movie that he made, alright? Uh, same, similar. Films co-workers recommend that are just like total fucking filler, totally fucking annoying and a waste of time. All right. Just being reals. So now we can be even more real and talk about Solo. <laughs> it had a budget. And by the way, there was no budget listed for Hotel Artemis. Anyway, uh, Solo 300 million. Now I need to make another classification. If a movie's budget is over 300 million it doesn't need your help just think about it the the amount of money and marketing that is behind it the goliath of infrastructure behind solo and the ability to just hire ron howard to come in and clean things up like thanos is a lot of power disney all right i feel like the little guy I don't know why this needs to be championed by everybody, and it's a it's got to be such a shock that if one Star Wars movie doesn't do perfectly at the theater, it was shot by Bradford Young, who shot Selma and Arrival, which is uh, good credits, but it's it some of this movie for me, and I know it could have been the way it was projected, was a little murky, um, and not like balanced murky. Like I thought Hereditary was really well done with the blacks. I talked to my friend about that. Um, Solo, there is a fight scene with the um, Cyborg Rebellion part, especially, and there's some Wookiee action there. A lot of that, a lot of that is so dark. And it, it, it didn't, it didn't do it for me. Again, some of the things that people are like praising about this movie are just surprising to me. Like when you come out of this movie and you're like, Lady Proxima. Okay. Yeah. Lady Proxima, what? She's got one scene in the movie. There's no reference really back to her. It doesn't need to be there. It's a Jabba-esque figure. Nothing that we really haven't seen before. Just how the villain in this, the British villain, is not something new to Star Wars. Nothing really to write home about. Uh, Then the whole thing of Lando being pansexual because he calls Han baby once. He's pansexual. He called he called Han baby. All right. He wants to you know have a romance with a robot that is not sold at all. 
from from Lando's point of view. It's he's barely in the movie. As as good as his um, performance uh, gets, and and Alden Agra, I didn't have a problem with um, Alden's performances solo. I just felt like so little was really going on in this movie. And I'm thinking I, I wanted to mention since uh, um, the prequels, so all the movies moving forward have been CGI. And it's interesting that horror fans would not let that shit go. If this was a horror franchise, people would be like, nope, they're all CGI, fuck it, I'm out. <laughs> but Star Wars fans, it's like totally cool that there's like no more uh, realistic, you know, kind of feeling models texture-wise. There was so much great, it felt like, you know, real good artwork and craftsmanship uh, back in the original Star Wars because a lot of that those props were real, having made real land speeders and stuff like that. It seemed like they're flying off the. It's just cool, Fly off the floor of the ground. You know, um, I don't know CGI. Okay, these are like since the prequels forward CGI wars. That's all they are, and that's that's fine. I just noticed that people don't seem to be that critical of it. Um, yeah, and I know that they have avoided the the overpolish of some of the prequel looks. Because you lose some of that rundown look, and at least they return to some of that, and I do like that. Uh, you know, who's gonna argue with Woody Harrelson? He can do whatever he wants. Every time he's in a movie, he's like the saving grace of the movie. He he, you handle he handles material well, and really, he's believable enough that you can deal with it. They do kill off a lot of characters, just here and there, and we're only supposed to care really about Solo. And Lando, even though he's not in the movie a lot, really. Um, but I found it very frustrating that the week after this movie came out, and then the next week after this movie came out, there was an issue with Last Jedi star who played Rose, uh, Kelly Marie Tran, who was trolled off of social media. And it is terrible. And, I mean, you can't... you. There are trolls, and they are losers, right? They have a lot of free time. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> I don't understand why, if I don't like Rogue One, if I don't like Solo, if I'm lukewarm, just like Luke was, there's a pun there, lukewarm on Last Jedi. He was lukewarm about how Luke was portrayed. So even Luke has, Mark Hamill has mixed feelings on Last Jedi himself. And I admire that. He has a nuanced opinion. He's not just saying, watch the movie, it's great, it's perfect. He's, he gave his real opinions on the character. It's totally not a direction he would have gone. And that's believable, I understand that. And I'm not saying it shouldn't have been done. You can do whatever you want, guys. I'll watch it. I'll see, I'll see what's up there in the event. Uh, but there was this loop feedback loop where it was like if you don't if you didn't like solo and you're solo bombed and you have any kind of middling uh, opinions on the movie that you hate women or kelly marie tran and you hate all of this stuff and you're a baby if you don't like it and i just feel I'm not trying to hate on anything. I started a podcast to review movies. 
because I've always been inclined to think deeply about movies. And it's something I've got at, uh, lobbed at me my whole life is you think too much. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> He's like, you think too much about movies. It's like, yeah, that's like my passion. <laughs> that's uh, what I'm all about is thinking too much about movies. I love it. I love to dissect movies. I love to criticize, not criticize, disgust. I've been in film discussion groups, IRL, you know, went to film school, IRL, love talking film history, love discussing directors, weighing the best. How do you say, you know, I like this director's film. Do you like all of this director's films? Do some of his films work for you? I And it wasn't really such a big deal if you think, well, I don't like maybe the Lucas prequels everybody was like happy to bash the lucas prequels but for some reason it's forbidden to even consider that these might be mediocre product i just don't understand that at all and uh, <laughs> the lack of discussion about films is disturbing to me <laughs> i find your lack of film discussion disturbing because there are groups online that are made about discussing films when what are we supposed to just champion everything? Why are we here to discuss films? If you're just going to group us into liking solo or disliking solo. And if you dislike solo, you clearly hate all of the, all of last Jedi. You hate all of, um, force awakens. It's not true. You have nuanced opinions and I have different emotions based on all of this stuff. I can get into the specifics of any of it, but no, if you don't like it and I'm tired of having to prove that I was ever a Star Wars fan to begin with. I've loved Star Wars my whole life growing up, as a film lover does. You, and then you learn about some of the connections to Kurosawa. You learn how maybe perhaps Toshiro Mifune could have played Obi-Wan Kenobi. And that would have been rad. And guess what? It would have been better if Toshiro Mifune was Obi-Wan, all right? Hands down. Anyway, I've dealt with Boba Fett being dead this whole time and I'm supposed to be happy that Darth Maul's back. <laughs> That's cool. But I'm still chilling, waiting for everyone to know <laughs> that Boba Fett got out of that fucking Sarlacc pit, all right? <laughs> I've thought about it. I've I've imagined uh, my own version of Predator versus Boba Fett <laughs> uh, a lot. <laughs> or Boba Fett versus Predator, however you want to phrase it. I mean, I got a plot for that, okay, Disney? So if you want... <laughs> Isn't this, doesn't, doesn't Fox and Disney, are they the same now? Or Disney owns everything? Or maybe I just need to wait two years and Disney, when you own both properties, hit me up. I gotta do Boba Fett versus Predator. <laughs> I don't care how fucking murky the cinematography is. <laughs> Let's do this shit. Ron Howard can help me. I'm down with that. I'm not gonna fuck up. I'm not gonna sit here and improvise all day long. So I do want to talk about the two directors that got nixed from solo it's funny because like as soon as a movie like this comes out everybody's like oh, i hope the fucking original cut comes to the dvd and then other people oh we're never gonna see the original what original cut what are you talking about who cares there's no like other cut of fucking casablanca sitting around that we need to fucking dig up i don't know like what is this shit we gotta think about every aspect and i'm the one overthinking it when y'all are y'all you know i'm just i'm imagining my own fucking scapegoat straw men who are sitting there arguing about the ron howard cut and the other cut 
Oh, hey, you got what you got is this is what you want. This is what you get. What you got is a Ron Howard movie. And I like Rush, his film, a lot. It is so dope. Daniel Brule rules. Okay. But no, you, you like Rush? Not enough. You got to like Solo. You got to like Rogue One. You got to like all of Last Jedi. Every scene. Even the milking scene. You have to like it. You got to like what Yoda did. All right. All right. Fine. Jeez, man. Like, can I take my Star Wars badge if you need it so fucking badly, right? Oh, well, seriously, why are you policing it? Let me see your papers. Where are your papers? Do you have the Star Wars? Did you play the RPG growing up? Did you play the tabletop RPG? Did you play Shadows of the Empire? Did you play Dark Forces? Did you play Dark Forces 2? Did you spend all your money on the EA add-ons for Battlefield or Battlefront? Whatever the fuck. Did you do that? Because you have to do that. You had to love it. Knights of the Old Republic, all of it. People say that Clone Wars is the worst of the prequels. I, I'm fine with that movie. You know why? All the Fett stuff. Because I'm a fan of Fett, right? I thought, I thought Revenge of the Sith was garbage. <laughs> a lot of the first prequel was super garbage. Uh, with super young uh, Darth, but then you got that fucking Darth Maul fight scene, which like totally saves that movie from being crap. So Darth Maul is cool. Is Darth Maul cool in Solo for two minutes? You know, I guess. Uh, I don't have a problem that he's there. What the hell though? Like, how is that not? Yeah, it's called fan service. I hate to parrot every other podcast out there. That's kind of um, what I'm trying to do by watching things that are not just on Netflix. I try to have a little bit of a different scenic route to my film watching so that I'm not just saying what every other podcast on every other review show is saying. Uh, I want it to be a bit unique. There was there was there was parts of the Star Wars movie where it, it got so dorky. Where they're sitting around a table, like, what are we going to do? What is your plan? I'm going to kill you, Han. What is your plan to appease me? And and then him and Woody, Woody Harrelson sit there and literally make up the plot of the movie, just like a writer's room would. Well, we can go to blah, 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 or we'll go to Planet X, and we'll go to Planet Z. Oh, Planet Z. All right. Well, there, let me let me give some expository details on Planet Z, even though... I perhaps we should all probably know that our trade routes are there already and all this shit about fucking the taking the Kessel run and all this crap like okay oh right and uh another character that we're gonna kill off and install into the Millennium Falcon to tug at those heartstrings man because Disney loves tugging at your heartstrings that's fine but it was it, there was a point when it got a little dorky and solo the all the fan service, the temple of Tosolo. So, <laughs> obviously, I want to talk not just about Solo, but about the scope of the talk about Solo. Uh, it's so political, and it's funny to me because it come. It's it, it, these Kelly Marie Tran troll topics can are slightly, you know, political, but barely. Obviously, in a world 
that we live in right now. It's just political enough for people to welcome into these groups to talk about films. I mean, we're not here to talk about immigration or gun laws and all these other aspects. But as soon as Star Wars, the outrage happens, we have to welcome that. And we have to because we got to talk about that because we're all film nerds. And most posts that I see about Star Wars right now are so fucking polarizing either way. And as soon as you see it, you know, it's just a clusterfuck. It's just a it's just a grenade about to go off. It's just like, let's have a solo discussion. Let's let's peer behind the curtain at everybody's um, leanings and how they feel and how uh, adequately they can verbalize their own opinions. And then let's attack them for it. And, of course, no conversation goes more than four or five comments anywhere online. It's like, unlike, you know, I'm not talking about the long, huge ones, but a lot of times in these groups, it'll be like, okay, we've reached our four-comment minimum, wouldn't want to have a discussion about that, wouldn't want to reply to anybody, but let's just bring it up and all everybody will agree that if you hate Solo, you're a jerk, and you're Kylo Ren, you're a baby. Well, okay, like that's not, if you want to talk about politics, if you want to talk about, hey, isn't it fucked up that these trolls drive people off social media like Kelly Marie Tran and Millie um, from uh, Stranger Things, they get driven off social media. You want to talk about that? And obviously it's wrong. It's so fucking wrong, especially because, you know, Millie's young. It's not fair. Um, everybody should agree on that but why do you think that that means that if you don't like Solo a movie that has nothing to do with Kelly Marie Tran she wasn't in Solo but yet knocking it is just blasphemous to some people and it's not knocking it it's actual discussion and that's why I've had to uh, you know quit a lot of social media because there's no room for any kind of nuanced discussion. You can't have a joke. You can't have any kind of tonal it tone where you come off as negative. Everything gets read as super negative. I do this thing where I, I just like lob crap at hammer movies and I just pretend to be super into universal movies because they came first and they're black and white and Bella Lugosi and shit. And to me, that's a huge joke. <laughs> that nobody can fucking take. They can't take it. They want to argue. Yeah, and dead seriously, dry seriousness, they want to explain to me about how many Hammer films I should fucking watch and have I seen every single one of them. And I'm just fucking around. I'm just kidding, okay? It's a fucking joke. I'm a Bela Lugosi fan. <laughs> uh, he's Hungarian. Did you not see Ed Wood with Tim Burton? I know I'm getting off topic, but... That's a jo- it's a joke I can't even get across. Same with like me being like super into Donald Pleasance. Like he's the best fucking Blofeld. <laughs> but I'm fucking around. It's hilarious to me. But he is honestly the most iconic Blofeld because he was in he was in these movies and people kind of remember that he's kind of Doctor Evil. I know Telly Savalas was in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. One movie that not everybody remembers, sadly, for them, I guess. Nobody can take a fucking joke. So there's nothing to talk about. A lot of people don't like to discuss films. 
you don't like to talk about the trailers, so everything has to be a secret. Everything has to be uh, spoiler, you know, hiding. We have to not talk about, like, does Cable go back to his family at the end of Deadpool or not? No, heaven forbid. Oh, no. Don't don't spoil Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, but it's really these $300 million movies that people are begging not to spoil. These, like, fan world movies. So I have a little bit more to say about this. I was reading some... Uh, Jerron Lanier, and he's got a great book. It's like 10 Reasons to Delete Your Social Media Right Now. You can look up interviews with him on YouTube that say a lot of the same things and he breaks it down really well that these social media companies are playing up the uh, antagonistic versus two different types of people conflicting is more interesting to social media than nothing. They want these things to happen. So you get this uh, just the algorithms are aggressive <laughs> and you know, everybody's coming into conflict. There's a lot of infighting. That's what I mean. When you bring in a argument about Star Wars, you're inviting into your little space a binary polarizing thing, and it creates infighting. Why are we being subjected to this shit? Just because Disney did had a bad day at the box office for once. Okay, they'll make their money back. It's not the end of the world. Why are we going on and on and on about Solo when we can't talk about anything else? The lower budget films that, that could probably use a little bit more time, like at the beginning of this episode. But no, let's spend 30 fucking minutes on Solo because that's the only fucking thing that matters. It's, let's get outrage at outrage. Listen to some of J Jaron Lanier's stuff. L-A-N-I-E-R. His first name is Jaron, J-A-R-O-N. And it, it totally applies to this stuff. Um, again, I want to read this, this quote from Stephen Metcalf from The New Yorker. It says, today the major franchises are commercially invulnerable because they offer up proprietary universes that their legions of fans are desperate to reenter on almost any terms. These reliable sources of profit are now Hollywood's financial bedrock. You know, these de these desperate fans are desperate to return to just anything Star Wars, so they're always going to have that. It still did okay at the box office, so why do you got to go and champion every frame of the fucking movie and go sell people Lady Proxima's and this? Oh wow, so cool! And not, but then disregard entirely anything that you perceive as negative. Uh, and film criticism itself is not negative; it is a opens door to understand it further a films further and, and kind of just explore the movie more uh i don't know i don't know why it's perceived as is intellectual and thinking too much if, if you don't just come away with a straightforward opinion that's that sounds positive when you write it as one sentence again that's why i have a podcast here is because i'm not trying to limit myself to a one sentence summary of a movie unfortunately that you know that happens sometimes especially online and i gotta bring up again what um david lynch was saying recently is people just quickly react and there's not they're not supposed to think about they try not to think about it some people and they just try to get across their, you know, opinion.
But really, if you think that you're helping anybody by helping Star Wars market solo further, and you're not just talking about how deplorable it is to abuse uh, people through uh, social media, I think you could... uh, 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 address that topic a little bit more directly than taking a roundabout way of just championing solo. So because you champion solo, clearly you're a good guy. You know, I hope you feel great that you've done that and you keep championing the minutia of a children's film, but you could probably spend more time maybe talking directly about those bullying issues in social media. That would probably be a better um, waste of your time. I think also, I mean, if you want to talk about politics in general, like right now, you could talk about the gun issue or you could talk about the immigration issue. And that's just in America. Um, and right now, as I read this, I'm seeing uh, President Will hopefully stop his immigration policy. Um, that shit could be talked about. But no, we can't talk about it. nothing like that gets talked about in a movie group. But Solo does. And Solo gets this polarizing effect and you're either on team uh, jedi or not i don't know but I, I speaking of which i think hopefully melania the true sith lord in that house uh got to him got to mr trump and said hey uh you know who's the real sith lord motherfucker <laughs> stop this bullshit hopefully she had something to do with that because we've seen her christmas photos and her decorations uh looks pretty sith lordy to me and most of twitter right hence the memes so that's some real shit if you want to talk about that kind of shit do it fucking talk because we're living in the fucking 1930s okay speaking of world wars this is bullshit everybody's afraid to fucking say anything everybody's polite meanwhile shit right people are being dehumanized online and off and it's it's gross where we're at right now and to act like you're not talking about that kind of thing when you're talking about championing Star Wars for all these good reasons, I think they do they are interlinked. I do I do recommend people go back and read that uh Stephen Metcalf article in the New Yorker. He brings up some interesting points about like uh, a hostage uh buyer, which is us the audience these days, especially when um companies are trying to make their characters worth more than the actors that they're in. Actors used to be sold by uh, I mean, films used to be sold by the actors, like the actor on the poster. When you go into Blockbuster, you'd see a great actor and you go, I'm going to check that movie out. Now it's you you have these characters that you're following and you also have these universes that you're following. So you are the hostage. You will come back for every Star Wars film. It it bears thinking about, actually. <laughs> uh, I want to quote some of Amy Poehler's interview in The Hollywood Reporter recently. This was just hilarious to me and really nails it. They ask her some questions. Okay, this is Amy Poehler. Uh, Your most memorable heckler. She says, who cares? The world is on fire. And they ask her, dream product endorsement? And she says, a giant whale just died in Thailand after eating 80 plastic bags. Uh, Your guilty pleasure? She says, let's not forget that over 4,600 people have died in Puerto Rico. And that is the fact that I really wouldn't know if I wasn't reading an interview with Amy Poehler. And that's 4,600 people. So she, they ask her, I'm funny because, and she says, I don't even know anymore. And they ask her, if I didn't work in comedy, she says, I would never leave my house. 
college comedy audiences are. And she says, kids that are afraid they will be shot in their own schools. What has happened to us? She, they ask her, sitcom you'd reboot? She says, Mr. Rogers, I miss him. We need him. They ask her, the funniest thing about the Trump administration is, and she says, are you kidding me? So I thought that was super relevant. And I just wanted to read those responses. I thought they were fantastic. And well, just straight to the point. And all of those issues are things that you don't hear Star Wars fans talking about. Hey, Star Wars fans, what about fucking Puerto Rico? What about the fucking planet, our planet, this planet, not Tatooine? You know, I get it. You like Star Wars. Guess how many fucking Star Wars fans I've met my whole fucking life since elementary school. And how many great friendships were formed off of that shared love of Star Wars. But it was legit. And every, quote, criticism we've ever shared was all in good fun, man. Because when you're talking to your friends about movies, you're not fucking calling them assholes at the same time. Doesn't make any fucking sense where we're at. I'm just going to read a list of what fascism looks like. I don't know. I felt this was relevant. Uh, number one, powerful and continuing nationalism. Number two, disdain for the recognition of human rights. Number three, identification of enemies slash scapegoats of the country's problems as a unifying cause. Four, rampant sexism. Five, supremacy of the military. Uh, six, controlled mass media. Seven, obsession with national security. Eight, religion and government are intertwined. Nine, corporate power is protected. Ten, labor power is suppressed. Eleven, disdain for intellectuals and the arts. Twelve, obsession with crime and punishment. Thirteen, rampant cronyism and corruption. And fourteen, fraudulent elections. Thanks. Anyway, I wanted to quote a whole bunch of shit, talk about Star Wars, This is the solo episode. And yeah, thank you for listening to the dorkiest episode of Movie Reviews Rising of all time.